Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Okay, she's bummed because she thought that that counted as a chapter, but it does not. That was like a page collaboratively. Okay, Peyton wants me to do this weird thing. This is the last time I'm going to do it. Okay, ready? You have to just go, uh... Okay, great. Chapter four. Huh? Ow, my tongue. Sorry. Chapter four, A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket, book the 12th, The Penultimate Peril. When When the elevator finally reached the roof and the doors... And the doors reached the roof, and the doors slid open to allow her to exit. Violet Baudelaire had two reasons to be grateful that her concierge disguise would included sunglasses. For one thing, the rooftop sunbathing salon was very, very bright. The morning fog so thick that when Baudelaire arrived on Briny Beach, it had disappeared, and the rays in the afternoon sun had beat down the entire city, reflecting off of the shiny objects from the glistening waters of the sea which splashed against the opposite side of the hotel to the surface of the pond which had settled since violet had thrown her stone all along the edge of the roof where large rectangular mirrors tilted like the hotel itself catching the blinding light of the afternoon sun and bouncing into the skin of the sunbathing guests the 10 sunbathers in their bare skin coated in thick sticky lotion lay without moving on shiny mats arranged arranged around heated swimming pool Oh, a heating swimming pool, which was so warm that the cloud clouds of steam was floating from the surface. In the corner of the attention, attendant, his eyes covered in green sunglasses and his body covered in a long, baggy robe. He was holding two enormous spatulas, which, as he might use as to flip a pa- which, wait, he was holding two enormous spatulas, such as he might be using to flip pancakes. And from time to time, he would reach out with a spatula and flip over the sunbathers. He would flip the sunbathers over with a spatula? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it says. Okay. The spatulas, like the mirrors and the mats and the pool, reflected the light of the sun in violet. Was glad, <laughs> was glad that her eyes were shielded. But there was another reason that the eldest Baudelaire was grateful for the sunglasses, and it had to do with the person who was waiting impatiently by the doors to the elevator. This person was also wearing sunglasses, although they were much more unusual. Instead of lenses, there were two large cones sticking out from the eyes, getting wider and wider until they stopped, as wide as dinner plates, several feet in front of the people's faces. Such a pair of glasses might have concealed the identity of a person who was wearing them, but they were so ridiculous that Violet knew they could barely, they, wait, knew that there could only be one person obsessed with fashion being fashionable as she wore such ridiculous eyewear and Violet was grateful for her own identity that was concealed. Here you are at last, Esme Squalor said. I thought I'd never see you. Pardon me, Violet asked nervous. Are you deaf, concierge? Esme demanded. Her scornful frown was lined with silver lipstick. Do you need some help? No, I got it. Okay. As if she had been drinking a molten metal. And she had pointed, oh my gosh, silver lipstick, that's weird. And she pointed an accusing finger with a long silver nail. The nails had, bef- 
had been filed into individual shapes so that each hand spelled Esme with the small with the thumbnail carved into the familiar symbol of an eye. The letters were painted to match Esme's sandals, long which had long frilly straps that ran around the notorious girlfriend's bare legs like centipedes. The rest of Esme's element, I regret to say, consisted of large leaves of lettuce attached to her body with tape. What? What is happening? Was that not in the movie? No. Seriously? No. Why would they have... Why do they do things like that? Like, it's important. That's an important detail, I think. If you've ever seen the bathing garment known as the bikini, then... Then you can guess where those pieces of lettuce were attached. And if you cannot guess, then I advise you ask somebody, some of your acquaintances who will, who is not squeamish as I am about to disguise the bodies of the villainous woman, women, glamorous people like myself do not have time to be nice to death, to the death. She snarled. I rang the concierge bell more than two minutes ago and I have been waiting the entire time. Yeah, Uh, I can see the headline now crowded another voice unbelievably glamorous and beautiful woman complains about hotel service wait until the readers of the daily punctilio see that violet was so relieved not to be recognized that she hadn't even noticed who she was who was standing next to count olaf's treacherous girlfriend geraldine julian was the irresponsible journalist who had printed so many lies about the baudelaire's and she wasn't happy to see that that see that reporter become one of esme's what Psychophants, a word here which means people who enjoy flattering people with, who enjoy being flattered. I'm sorry, ma'am, Violet said in a professional tone as she could muster, and as professional of a tone as she could muster. The concierges are usual, are particularly busy today. What is, what is it you require? It is not what I require, as May said. It is what this little adorable girl in the swimming pool requires. I'm not an adorable little girl. Yet another familiar voice came from the direction of the heated pool and Violet turned to see Carmelita Spatz, a spoiled and unpleasant child that the Bowlers had first encountered at boarding school, who had gone on to join Count Olaf and Esme's squalor in performing treacherous deeds. I'm ball playing. I'm a ball playing cowboy superhero soldier pirate, she cried, emerging from the cloud of steam. She was wearing an outfit as ridiculous as as ridiculous as Esme's, though thankfully it wasn't as revealing. She had only a bright blue jacket covered with shiny metal, shiny metal such as are given to people for military services, which was unbuttoned to reveal a white star that proclaimed the name of the sports team in curly blue letters. Stapled to the back of her jacket was a long blue cape, and on her feet were a pair of bright blue boots with spurs, which are tiny wheels of spikes used to urge animals to move more quickly than they might otherwise prefer. She had a blue patch covering one of her eyes, and on her head was a blue triangular hat with a skull and crossbones printed on it, the symbol that pirates use while prowling the high seas. Carmelita Spatz, of course, was not the, on the high seas, but had managed to drag a large wooden boat to the rooftop sunbathing salon so she could prowl a high swimming pool. On the bow of the boat was an inordinately was an ornate, ornately carved figurehead, a word here which means wooden statue of an octopus attacking a man in a diving suit, and there was a tall mast stretching up towards the sky in which a billowing sail that he had an insignia of an eye matching one on Count Olaf's ankle. The eldest Baudelaire stared for a moment at this hideous figurehead, but then turned her attention to Carmelita. The last time Violet had seen the, the unpleasant captain of this boat, she was dressed in all pink and was bouncing herself 
was announcing herself as a tap-dancing ballerina fairy princess veterinarian, but the eldest Baudelaire could hardly say whether she was a ball-playing cowboy superhero soldier pirate was better or worse. Of course you are, darling, Esme purred and turned to Geraldine Julian with a smile one mother might give another at a playground. Uh, Carmelita has been a tomboy lately, she said, using an insulting term inflicted on girls who behave, whose behavior some people find unusual. I'm sure your daughter will grow out of it, Geraldine replied, who, as usual, was speaking into a microphone. Carmelita Spatz is not my daughter, Esme said haughtily. I'd no sooner have children of my own than I'd wear a modest clothing. I thought you adopted three orphans, Geraldine said. When it was in, Esme hurriedly added, using her word for fashionable, but orphans are out now. Well, then what's in, Geraldine asked breathlessly. Uh, planning cocktail parties and hotels, of course, crowed Esme. Why else would I let a ridiculous woman like myself interview me? How wonderful, Geraldine said, who appeared not to realize that she had just been insulted. I can see the head the headlines now as may squalor the most glamorous person ever wait until the readers of the daily daily punctilio see that when they read about your career as an actress financial advisor girlfriend and cocktail host party hostess they'll get excited to see some some of them will probably have heart attacks i hope so as may said i'm sure my readers want to know all about your stylish outfit Geraldine said holding up her microphone to esme's chin will you tell us something about the unusual glasses that you're wearing they're sunoculars, Esme said, patting her strange eyewear. They're a combination of sunglasses and binoculars. They're very in, and this way I can watch the skies without getting the sun in my eyes or the moon if something should happen to arrive at night. Why would you want to wear? Why would you want to watch the skies? Geraldine asked curiously. Esme frowned, and Violet could tell that the stylish woman had let something slip—a phrase here which means said something she wished that she hadn't. Because bird watching is very in, she said unconvincingly, unconvincingly, a word here which means clearly telling a lie. Wait until the readers of the Daily Punctilio hear that, gasped Geraldine. Will all the guests at your cocktail party be wearing sunoculars? No matter how, no matter what the guests are wearing, Esme said with a smirk, they won't be able to see the surprises that we have in store for them. Ooh, what surprises? Geraldine asked eagerly. If I told you what they were, Esme said, they wouldn't be surprises. Well, you couldn't give me a hint, Geraldine asked. No, Esme said. Not even a little one, Geraldine asked. No. Pretty please, Geraldine whined. Pretty please with sugar on top. Esme's silver-coated lips curled thoughtfully. If I give you a hint, she said, you'll have to tell me something too. You're a reporter, so I know all. You're a reporter, so you know all sorts of interesting information. But before I reel my special orders for the orders for the Thursday cocktail party, I want you to tell me something about the certain guest at this hotel. He's been lurking around the basement, plotting around, plotting to spoil our party. His initials are J S. Lurking around the basement, Geraldine repeated. But J S is. Esme! Carmelita screamed from the swimming pool, interrupting it just at the worst moment. That concierge is just standing there when she's supposed to be at my beck and call, and she's not. She's nothing but a cake sniffer. Esme turned to Violet, who was used to being called a cake sniffer after all of these times. What are you waiting for? She snarled. Go get whatever that darling girl wants. Esme twirled around and marched away, and Violet was glad to see that the villainous girlfriend, girlfriend's outfit had two more lettuce leaves that had been visible from the front the eldest baudelaire was sorry to keep to stop per- performing her flint her flaneur
errands and begin her duties as a concierge, but she stepped to the edge of the swimming pool, walking carefully and tilted the roof of the hotel on the tilted roof of the hotel and peering into the clouds of steam. What is it you want, miss? she asked, hoping Carmelita would not recognize her voice. A harpoon gun, of course, Carmelita said. County said that I won't I can't be a ball playing cowboy, superhero, soldier pilot without a harpoon gun. Who's County? Geraldine asked. Esme's boyfriend, Carmelita said. He thinks I'm the most darling special girl in the entire world. He said that if I used my harpoon gun properly, he would properly he would teach me how to spit like a real ball playing cowboy, superhero, soldier pirate. Oh, I can see the headlines now, Geraldine said in her microphone. Ball playing cowboy, superhero, soldier pirate learns to spit. That's a terrible story to read. Wait until the readers of the Daily Punctilio see that. I'll fetch you a harpoon gun, Miss Miss Violet promised, ducking to avoid the attendant's spatula, which was overturning a sunbathing woman. Stop calling me Miss, you cake sniffer. Carmelita said, I'm a ball-playing cowboy superhero pirate soldier, soldier pirate. Fetching objects for people who are too lazy to fetch them for themselves is not a pleasant tack task particularly when the people are insulting as you but as violet or insulting you but as violet walked back to the elevator and pressed a button for it to arrive she was not thinking about carmelita's atrocious behavior she was too preoccupied a word here which means wondering exactly what esme squalor and carmelita spats were doing at the hotel dumont the two unsavory females knew full and well about VFD and the plans for Thursday's gathering, but the eldest Baudelaire did not believe for a minute that they were planning a cocktail party. As the doors slid open and, es and, Violet, oh, and Violet stepped inside, she wondered why Esme was using her sonoculars to search the skies. She wondered what Carmelita wanted with the harpoon gun, and she wondered how Esme knew about the imposter J.S., and who was apparently lurking around the basement of the hotel room, of the hotel. But most of all, she wondered where Count Olaf was, or Carmelita liked to call him, County, was hiding, and what treachery he was planning. Violet was thinking so hard about her observations as a felonuer that it was only then when the elevator's door shut that she remembered her errand as a concierge and realized that she had no idea where to find a harpoon gun. Harpoon guns are not part of the usual equipment provided by a hotel, and at this time, Violet had seen such a device with Esme Squalor's own hands, back when she was disguised as a policeman at the vil village of foul devotees. Even if the Hotel Dumont had thought to keep such a thing in the building, Violet couldn't imagine where she would be able to find it in the Dewey Decimal System without a catalog. She wished Klaus were with her, as if the numbers of the Dewey Decimal System she knew by heart was 621, which was a label for her favorite section, Applied Physics. With a gloom, a gloom sly, the eldest Baudelaire uh, pressed the button for the lobby. You're asking me for help, cried Frank or Frank Ernest, or <laughs> he called either Frank or Ernest when Violet managed to find him. The lobby, the lobby of the Hotel Dumont was even more crowded than when the Baudelaire's had arrived, and it took Violet a few minutes before she could find the familiar figure of the volunteer or his vil villainous brother. Um, I'm not the one who needs help, he said, an astonishing number of guests that have arrived earlier than expected. I have no time to be a concierge helper. Well, I realize that you're busy, sir, Violet said, and she knew by calling a person sir that it can often get you what you want, unless, of course, this person is a woman. A guest has requested a harpoon gun, but I don't, don't know where to find one. I wish the Hotel Dumont had a catalog. You shouldn't need a catalog, manager said, If not if you're who I think you are. 
Violet gasped, and either Frank or Ernest took one, one step closer to her. Are you, he asked. Are you who I think you are? Violet blinked behind her sunglasses. There are people in the world who say gold, silence is golden, which, is sim- which simply means that they are prefer calm and peace, peaceful hush to the noise of clutter in the world. There is nothing wrong with such a preference, but sadly, there are times when a calm and peaceful hush is simply not possible. If you're watching the sun, for instance, the silence may permit you to be alone with your thoughts as you gaze at the darkening landscape, but there, but it may be necessary to make an, a loud noise to scare off any grizzly bears that may be approaching. If you're riding in a taxi, you might prefer silence so that you can study your map in peace, but on the occasion, you might require to shout, please turn around and think you've driven through those hedges, and if you've lost a loved one, as the Baudelaire's have done in that faithful day of a fire, you may also, you may wish very dearly for a long period of silence so that you and your siblings can contemplate your puzzling, woeful situation, but may find yourself tossed from one dangerous situation to another, and another, and another, so that you begin to think that you will never find yourself in a calm and peaceful hush. As Violet stood in the lobby, she wanted nothing more than to be silent so that she might further observe the man standing next to her and discover if he was a volunteer whom you could, whom she could say, yes, I am Violet Baudelaire, or a villain to whom she could say, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. But she knew that she could not ho- hope for a calm and peaceful hush of the chaos of the Dumont, Hotel Dumont. And so rather than remaining silent, she answered the the manager's question as best as she could of course i'm who you think you who you think i am she said feeling as if she were talking in code although in code she, in a code she didn't know i'm a concierge i see frank or ernest unfathomably said and who's requesting a harpoon gun a young girl on the roof violet said a young girl on the roof the manager repeated with a smile are you sure a harpoon gun should be given to a young girl on the roof Violet did not know how to answer him, but unfortunately, this appeared to be one of those times when silence is a fact golden, is in fact golden, because at her silence, Frank or Ernest gave the elder Baudelaire another smile and then turned on his heel, a phrase here which means turned around in somewhat of a fancy manner and beckoned Violet to follow him to a far corner in the lobby where she saw a small door marked 121. This number stands for a epistemology he explained using a word here which means theories of knowledge and looking hurriedly around the lobby as if he was being watched i thought it would be a good hiding place frank or Ernest took a key out of his pocket and unlocked the door which swung open with a quiet creak to reveal a small bare closet only the only thing in the closet was a large wicked object that with a bright red trigger and four long sharp hooks the eldest baudelaire recognized it from her stay at the village of foul devotees she knew that it was a harpoon gun and a deadly advice that ought to not be in the hands of anyone, let alone Carmelita Spatz. Violet did not want to touch it herself, but as the manager stood at the door gazing at her, she could think of no other choice and carefully removed the device from the closet. Be careful with this, the manager said with an unfathomable tone. A weapon like this should only be put in the hands of the right person. I'm grateful for your assistance, concierge. Not many people would have the courage to help with a scheme like this. Violet nodded silently and then silently took the the heavy weapon from Frank or Ernest's hands. In essence, oh, in silence, she walked up to the elevators, her head spinning with a mysterious observation as a flaneur and her mysterious errands as a concierge in a silent 
and in silence she stood at the sliding elevator doors, wondering which manager she had spoken to and what precisely she had said to him in her coded, quiet response. But just before the elevator arrived, Violet's silence was shattered by an enormous noise. The clock in the lobby of the Hotel Dumont was the was Dumont is the stuff of a legend. Oh, the stuff of legend, a phrase here which means a very famous for being loud. <clears throat> it is located in the very center of the ceiling at the top of the dome. And when the clock announces the hour, the bell clanged throughout the entire building, making an immense deep noise that sounded like a certain word being uttered once for each hour. In this particular moment, there was a three o'clock it was three o'clock, and everyone in the hotel could hear the booming ring of the enormous bell of the clock oh, uttering the word. At night. Oh my gosh, I hope it turns off at like nine nope. o'clock would be the last. No! Seriously? As she boarded, oh, the enormous bells of the clock uttering the words three times in succession. Wrong, wrong, wrong. It says wrong? Whoa. Well, that, well, in the morning it does. So imagine. Right. As she boarded the elevator, the harpoon gun heavy and sinister in her gloved hands, Violet Baudelaire felt as if the clock were scolding her for, the, for her efforts at solving the mysteries at the Hotel Dumont. Wrong! She had tried to be the best flaneur, but hadn't observed enough, decoded, enough to decode the scheme of Esme Squalor and Carmelita Spatz. Wrong! She had tried to communicate with one of the hotel's managers, but had been unable to discover whether he was frank or earnest, and most wrong of all, now she was taking a deadly weapon to the rooftop sunbathing salon where she where it would serve some own sinister purpose. With each strike of the clock, Violet felt wronger and wronger until the last. at last she reached the destination and stepped out of the elevator. She dearly hoped that her siblings had found more success in their errands as for... For as she walked across the roof, avoiding the spatula as it flipped the guests on their mirrored mats, until the last she could, at last she could see the hoist of the harpoon gun in Carme, into Carmelita's eager, ungrateful hands. All the eldest Baudelaire could think was that this everything was wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay, I'm sorry, that is a hundred percent correct. And why would she be giving that to a little girl, right? Right? Okay, Mom. I'm just saying. It's wrong. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. Uh, don't hit me. I was, Child abuse. I was slapping your hand with a piece it's of... Slapping. Excuse me. <laughs> the inside of your palm. I was high-fiving your hand with a piece of paper. Slapping. You said slapping. Oh, Bahumbaga. Bahumbaga. Hey. Yeah. That's rude. What? The saying... Um, Chris, uh, something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yo. It's true. That's quite true. Never say about children. What about the children? What about the children? Do you want to read the next chapter? No, we don't. I'm just asking if you want to. No, but I don't want to. We're not going to. Then we can do the rest tonight. Mm. Okay, bye bye. Don't be mad at Peyton. We just did four chapters. I think she's a little burnt out. Huh? You're born burnt out. I read everything out loud. <laughs> See you guys tonight. Mm-hmm.